You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 29th of June, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. And tonight's program has almost been on time a few minutes late. Apologies again. Um, We're getting closer. We're getting closer. So, (laughs) Lord willing, um, you know, I think it's about about six or seven weeks back and I'm refiguring out all the gremlins. It feels like I'm having to relearn all the stuff uh, that I had learned over the couple of years um for those who are aware who have been listening for a while um there was no programs between i think november and late april was it so uh welcome everybody um tonight's program we're going to be looking at the the topic of the lgbt movement within the christian church um I'm using the term Christian church as in professing Christian church. And um, and we're also going to be looking at what I would call indoctrination of parents. And what I mean by the parents is um, the parents of people who are coming out as quote unquote homosexual or anything under the LGBTQ um, umbrella or whatever the case may be, whatever the moniker may be, are being pressured into changing now you the discussion of whether that person is a christian or not if they really give in to such arguments i'm going to leave the try and leave that aside completely to the, today but there is a massive pressure being placed on the, you know, the older people the parents you know the, so they don't be seen as bigots and all this kind of stuff uh, tonight's program we're going to be looking at the the reformation project uh, i've done a programs about that um it's been sadly quite influential. Uh, Matthew Vines, of course, started that whole thing years ago. He did a a video. He did a presentation. When was it? Maybe 10 years ago now at this point. I can't remember exactly when. It got millions of views and claiming that homosexuality was not against the word of God. That's the gist of it. But I've been covering his stuff for years now. And I know there's people who are going to be thinking, what's the point of going over this? This is so obvious. It's not obvious to many people. It's not. And uh, if we just say nothing, then we're kind of part of the problem, letting it happen, in a sense. Uh, Greetings, everybody joining in the YouTube chat. Uh, if you would like, during programs, uh, every Tuesday at 9 p.m., and you would like to ask questions during the program, YouTube is probably the best place to do that at. Um, one day I'd love to find a better way to do this, but at the moment, YouTube is the best way I can find of doing that. I, I don't have an engineer or anything like that, so I have no way of calling in, but I love the interactive side of things. Hey, sometimes I will forget something during a program and somebody will correct me in the chat room. I like that. That's great. You know, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's nothing major to correct me on, but uh, no, it, it, it's great and uh, it seems to be a good bunch. Uh, welcome everybody who has been joining over the last few weeks, and it's uh, been a real 
encouragement. Before we get into our main part of the program, we're going to read uh, part of our uh, part of scripture. We're going to read a psalm. We're going to read Psalm 38. We've been doing this for ever since last April, and I believe it's in, it's definitely encouragement to me uh, as we look into these topics and the psalms. As I keep saying, sing through them, meditate upon them, and um, they they are not just there. They're not just cute poetry. They're not even just prayers or anything like that. But it is a hymn book. It is to be sung, and the Christian Church, whether you're not, whatever your position is on Psalms, it it, it was a song. It was to be sung. It was to be sung a cappella. So, um, Psalm thirty-eight. We're just going to read a few verses. We're going to read the first few verses and the last few verses. Um, but just to start this program, and we'll just. Ask for the Lord's help in all these things. Father, Lord in heaven, we, we thank you, Father, for anybody who is listening to this live, either through Sermon Audio or YouTube. And we also pray, Father, for um, those who will listen later. And we pray that it will be edifying. And we pray, O oh Lord, though the contents of this program may be difficult and they may be unsettling, that this may be happening in our day, in our communities, in our homes, in our churches. Father, give us the strength, give us the boldness, and also give us the wisdom to deal with these issues. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we hear your holy and infallible word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 38, let us hear God's word. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. And my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pains, pants. My strength fails me as for the light of my my eyes, it also has gone from me. Just read the last few verses, uh, 15 to 22 now. For in you, O Lord, I hope. For you will hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my footsteps they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare... My iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my strength, and may the Lord bless his word. And that's what we pray as we go through these things, that the Lord would help us. 
that the Lord would help us to be faithful to him, not being conservative, not being any of these other labels that may be there, but that the clear teachings of the word of the living God may we may delight in and love. We're not better than anybody else. But our hope needs to be in the Lord, not in the supposed wisdom of men. Now, so... About seven months ago, this video I'm going to be looking at this evening was posted on the Reformation Project website. And the Reformation Project, from the from the get-go, don't confuse it with a Reformed or, or even from that matter, it, it is not a Christian organization. It is a... For whatever intentions that are going on in Matthew Vines's head, it is a type of, you could say Trojan horse or something like that, within the church to draw it away from the truth and to corrupt its teaching. Now, from his point of view, whether he knows it's corrupting it or not, whatever the case may be, but he is heading out and intentionally corrupting the word of the living God, and especially corrupting what it means to be, well, natural and everything else. Um, it, it's astonishing chicanery, exegetical chicanery, in terms of mishandling of the word of the living God. But again, this is not obvious to everybody. I know there'll be people out there who think, well, why, why, why do we need to go over this? And I think... Part of the problem, it's not the only reason, but part of the problem, I think, in reform circles, we, we kind of have echo chambers where we kind of talk amongst ourselves, topics that are important, but we have certain things that we'll talk about, and certain things we just won't. And we'll, we'll talk about, and I'm thankful for this, the, the new perspective on Paul. Um... Federal vision, not so much. Another topic for another day. Um, but, you know, because it might touch too close to home at times. We, we know we don't like, say, N.T. Wright on, on the justification issue. There are certain topics we don't mind ta talking talking, talking about. I think my cork accent comes out sometimes here. So, but when it comes to things like certain aspects of the charismatic movement, we get extremely nervous, and sometimes, rightly so, we need to be cautious on what we say, and we need to not go beyond the Word of God. But we've also, I think we've got a, maybe a built-in squeamishness where we we kind of go, ah, that's obvious, just just don't deal with it. I'm not saying that every single, by the way, I don't say that you sh you need to put pressure on your minister in order that he feels like he needs to be doing what I'm doing or anything else like that. I think that's, that's a bad approach some should um it for some it might be not topical sermons on this necessarily but a relevant application where necessary when you're going through the text it's usually an application where these things will come out don't be afraid to apply the word of god if anybody's listening and is a preacher if it's if it's not on application, it's not preaching. It must speak to the conscience. It must command change. It must preaching does not seek to bring about change in the person, not just intellectually fill our minds. It is not really preaching at all. Okay, it's really a lecture. It's really just information. Um, this 
is is a program. Hopefully, it will edify you. Hopefully, it will help you to how to respond to some of these things. And uh, so, again, this is the okay. The Reformation Project on this. Matthew Vines has his father on. This is why I'm talking about the indoctrination of Christian parents in the title. If in case you're wondering about that, because he his father is there. And his father is there giving their, you could say, their testimony over um, how he changed his mind. He wasn't in favor of it at first. Then apparently he's all embarrassed about it. And we're going to play and respond to it as time goes on. We're going to share about our journey together of me coming out and then us studying the Bible together. Because... I think for most Christian parents who are struggling after finding out that their child is LGBTQ, their understanding of the Bible is very high on the list of their concerns, if not at the very top of the list of their concerns. So Greg and Lynn asked me to share some about scripture on this topic, and I thought that the best way to do it would be in narrative form with my dad, since this is our Parents in Process program. And since that was really... going to briefly just make the point that this whole, again, you have to be careful with the language of that I am. Again, the whole thing about LGBTQ and whatever else it may be, it's likened to the race issue or something like that. It is not. It's nothing to do with that. And it's, it's basically like saying somebody's a drunkard. I'm born that way. Um, I'm, a, I'm an adulterer or any other sinful action. It is, it's not just like any other, it is a grievous sin. It is a rejection of the created order. We sympathize with those people who struggle with it sincerely, but not with people who are actively promoting it. How our study of this topic unfolded together. Um, and I know that that's a real privilege and blessing that I had thanks to my dad because a lot of people when they come out don't have enough openness from their parents to even be willing to really explore this topic in more detail. And so I'm very grateful to my dad for that. And I'm looking forward to being able to share this. Now, no doubt from his point of view, he sees it as anybody's not willing to talk about this. There's no openness about this. Again, What if we went back to the Bible and said, we're going to re-examine whether or not drunkenness is wrong? You might get probably a lack of patience with people, or you want to go back into the Bible and you want to say that wife beating isn't wrong, or drug taking isn't wrong, or whatever else. Oh, the Bible doesn't talk about it. You You could follow along this type of logic that Matthew Vines and other people are going to use. It's obviously dangerous and it's obviously just trying to... The whole approach by the Reformation Project is this. The, every single reference to homosexuality, that's not talking about the monogamous relationships that they apparently have. That's not talking about it at all. Apparently the Bible doesn't talk about it at all. And whatever it does, apparently... And here's the thing, every time, it just happens to be, every single time the Bible talks about homosexuality, it is negative. And any time that it has any reference to anything remotely related to it shows that it is contrary to the created order itself. However, you know, of course, we have to look at this again, apparently. 
Do you know the, the whole was a five six references to homosexuality um, in the Bible, whether it's Leviticus eighteen, Leviticus twenty, ju- what is it, Judges nineteen, Genesis nineteen, First Corinthians six verses nine to eleven. Uh, was it Romans? Romans one, around what is it, verse eighteen to about verse twenty three. Whatever those references, even if you could take them all out. Before I'm already ranting. Apologies. If you could take those all out, you still have the created order. You still know what is natural, and you have the law of God. So, you and then we'll take some questions at the end. So to get started, I'll just share a little bit about. We'll just share a little bit about our background. What led to me coming out? I grew up in. This man's home, <laughs> um, and a it was a Christian home, and that was the most important part of what our home and family was about, um, still is. <laughs> and in Wichita, Kansas, a church of about 2,000 people, a Presbyterian. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Many will, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, do we do not, not do many mighty works? Depart from me, Jesus will say to him. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness. You basically, uh, the uh, Matthew seven verses twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three, stating that if you lived as though I never gave you a law to obey, you lived a lawless life. Jesus will say to you in the final day, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Many people around the world claim to be Christians, claim it's the most important thing in their life. It's not. If you live in rebellion against the law of God, you hate God's word, you hate God's law, and you hate God. The God you love, if you do love any God at all, it's a God of your own imagination. It is a, it is a feeble idol who bends to your own will and desire. Church. My parents, I'll let my dad tell you more about their involvement in the church, but I became a Christian when I was three years old. It was actually only my second memory because they told us in Sunday school that morning that all we had to do was ask Jesus to come into our heart and to be our Lord and Savior, and he would do it. And so as I as was, I was riding back home from church that Sunday, it was quiet, and I just did exactly what they told me to do, and I asked him to come into my heart. And I did, I drew a little door. <laughs> okay, before this turns into a sad, it's a really sad story. We hear it many, many different places. And you, and you actually hear it from a lot of people who claim to be homosexual and claim to be Christian. You hear the story of when I was a child, I was asked by my you know, Sunday school teacher, whoever else, to ask Jesus into my heart, and he would definitely do it. As if there's some kind of magic words. It becomes justification in that scheme becomes the means of is just saying some words out and just invite him in. And it, this kind of false assurance that has been given to people over the years, you know, do that and, and never question it again. You are a Christian. That is, I knew I'm a Christian. No, no. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you'd be in the faith. The Bible also calls for church discipline for those who live sinful lives. The exercise of the keys of the kingdom. 
so the Bible never says anywhere that you just invite Jesus into your heart, a term never used anywhere, and you're definitely saved. The Bible says, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon his name to trust him and him alone. And if you have trusted him, a good fruit will a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will tr produce bad fruit. If Jesus comes up to the fig tree of your life and sees no good fruit, as in disobedience in the life. Now, it's not because of the fruit. It's because of the root. The root is rotten. You're, you, you've never been born again. You've never been regenerated. The difference is a Christian, somebody who has been saved, somebody who has been born again of the Spirit of God, has a new relationship to the law of God. The law of God no longer condemns him. And also he loves that law. It becomes a source of instruction and he follows it, of course, imperfectly. But he does follow it. And when you have someone who is, used the old language of the authorized version years ago, abuses themselves of mankind, more modern language, homosexual, sodomite, whatever term you want to use. Be not deceived. Such will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, such were some of you, but you've been washed. You're no longer that. You're no longer that identity, if you want to call it that. And by the way, by the way, the two Greek terms that are used, and by the way, there's two Greek terms in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, verse 11. And they can be translated different ways, effeminate, homosexual, sometimes, I think the NKJ be translated homosexual, sodomite. Both terms refer to what we would call today homosexuality. Active and passive, both terms, by the way. Effeminate, and it's sometimes translated effeminate, the NASB, other translations as well. The whole point of it is, there's no way of getting around this. And the same with somebody who's, who, just say, you're a drunk, and you're a slave to, to sin. You're, you're, you're known as a drunk. Be not deceived, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your life demonstrates you're not a slave, you're not a servant of Christ. You're a slave and servant of sin. So it angers me to hear people say, God is the most important thing in my life. It is blasphemy. It's a violation of the third commandment. It's a complete lie. And by the way, whoever's listening to this is... Jesus truly the most important thing in your life? Do you follow him? Do you obey him? That's how you will know. On my heart, I just think, very cute, but it's also real. Um, <laughs> I, I drew a little door on my heart and I opened it and I kept it open for a full minute to make sure he had time. Because <laughs> I felt like he was coming from a distance. <laughs> and so he needed some time. <laughs> but also he could get there pretty quickly. So... And kept it open for a minute, and then I closed it, and then I locked it. And I did this once a year, probably for the next decade, just to make sure it was really sticking. 
because um, you never know with that image. Even I mean, it's not like I actually, maybe I did when I was three, but by the time I was 13, it's not like I actually thought that's how it worked, but I guess that's just how I had processed it. And so you have to make sure that. So he didn't really know the true gospel. That's how I processed it. You didn't know the true gospel. You can understand as a young kid, you're, you're a sinner. There's a penalty for sin. There's a punishment for sin. And you must turn from that trust in Jesus. And Jesus will have taken your punishment. And also, his perfect righteousness will be yours. But what, it, what is pretty much either bordering on a false gospel or is a false gospel, or, or at least a rubbish presentation of the gospel, has led to multitudes of many people entering the church who have not been born again. And rather than somebody telling that person lovingly that, that he doesn't, you know, you can't get inside people's hearts, but you'd be concerned about the person's soul. Rather than telling somebody lovingly that, no, 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 just keep the church numbers up. We're afraid of losing that person on the seat. Tell them the truth. Because if you, if, they, if you just give them false assurance, it is cruel. Because that person, if they are acting in rebellion, all the fruit says they are unconverted and they're on their way to hell. They're on, they're on the wide road to destruction. Again, there's a limitation in what we can know. And much of the time, within church situations, lovingly, there should be application of biblical church discipline. Done lovingly, of course. In or and the whole point of it is reconciliation. Didn't fall out one night, like, in your sleep. Uh, but no, I mean, so for me, being a Christian is... The, it's always been the most important part of my life, my faith in Jesus. And then and I know that was the most important thing that my parents wanted to pass along to me. So that made it pretty hard. Um, when then, even just I got to high school, I started to meet other, just meet openly gay people. This is before I even had come to terms with anything about myself. And I really started to feel a tension between, it just, I. The, from the moment that I met an openly gay person, the first thing I told my mom was, I said, I feel like this person wouldn't be welcome at our church. Even though I don't remember any hearing. Okay, it, it, it really depends. It really depends. It, oh, sorry. It really depends on the context of what you mean by welcome in a church. Um, I know of a church where someone came and they would bring them to church. The person would be a bit drunk but they would try to get them to come to church. They realized that this person was unconverted, but they would try to be as open as possible. But I'm sure that a line would be drawn if the person was disruptive in the service or whatever. But we're not, and this would be a very conservative church, very, all the, whatever you want to say, you know, Westminster Confession, all this kind of stuff, and would be welcoming to that person. Okay? And, it, you know, there's a danger where, like, Keeping keeping your way and all that kind of stuff. Church membership is something different, okay? There needs to be a credible profession of faith. 
A homosexual does not have a credible profession of faith. Somebody claiming to be another gender, trans, so-called trans, and all this kind of stuff, does not have a credible profession of faith. None of these people under the this whole smorgasbord of sin have has a credible profession of faith. However, if you have somebody who comes to the church and they're not there just to cause problems, you know, if they're willing to sit quietly and listen, they should be welcomed. They may look a little strange. They may look completely different and they may even make you a little bit uncomfortable, but you should be welcoming. And if they're willing to listen, be welcoming. Now, of course, wisdom and all that, and you know, if people are just trying to lead the church away in the wrong direction actively, well, tough decisions have to be made. But generally, most of the time, people won't even come if they're willing to, if they're going to do that. Uh, usually, that doesn't be the case. Be open. There could be people who are horrible, horrible people, live grossly immoral lifestyles. But they should feel like, of course, they're going to feel uncomfortable when they come to church, by the way. They're going to be, their sin is going to be exposed by the word of God. But they should not, they should be welcomed in, just say hello, shake their hand or whatever. Just, I don't know, tell them we're pleased that you're here or something like that. And we're not better than them. We've just been made recipients of grace. The Christian church is for sinners who have repented, not for perfect people. This isn't as much of a danger anymore, but it is in certain parts of the world. Perhaps generations of generations of Christians. We should be welcoming and loving and pray for that person would repent of their sin and trust in Christ. By the way, being welcoming does not mean we accept their sin. There were things when I first went to church, I felt uncomfortable about, but it was good that I felt uncomfortable. I used to swear like a sailor. And I think it was, I think I stopped kind of cursing a little bit before I started going to a church, but that was something I felt really uncomfortable doing. You know, I stopped cursing. It, it, it impacted my, you know, it was the Holy Spirit convicted me that that was wrong to swear and all this kind of stuff. But it was good. <laughs> um, they talked about different things. I didn't, it wasn't just, well, we'll just leave you in your sin. No, no, no. By being around the Christians, it will encourage you to grow. At the same time, you should be patient with those people, which I remember the first Christians I was around, they were very, very patient with me. And we should be patient with them. But at the same time, not just to say, hey, there you are. And no, no, a baby, a babe in Christ should grow. So yes, the church should be welcoming to anyone who is willing to come in the doors. No matter what weirdness they may have been involved, they may be the leader of the local pride parade or whatever, but if they're coming to hear the gospel, welcome them in. 
and they may become, by God's grace, pray for them, obviously. We don't accept them into membership. I will draw that line. Not members of the church. We don't accept them as Christians. They're not. Unless they turn from that. But we do welcome them. We want sinners to be saved. So trying to get that right balance. Being loving. Being welcoming. But not accepting of the sin. Anything explicitly at church on this topic. You just knew. Because these people don't seemingly exist at all in your community or in the view of what is respectable, what is acceptable. We didn't have any family friends who I knew were LGBTQ. Every wedding, every family, all these things, heterosexual. Um, well, you know, fast forward to by the time I'm, well, no, before I fast forward, I'm going to let my dad share a little bit just about his involvement and my parents' involvement in our church. So this is um, Matthew Vines' father who's going to be speaking now. Okay. So, um, as Matthew mentioned, our church was a Presbyterian church, and, and for those pastors who are here or others who know about denominations, it was a PCUSA church. And uh, uh, that denomination over the years has become more and more uh, affirming of gay people. Well, more and more apostate. I... I don't know if are there any are there any are there any gospel preaching churches in the PCUSA? Not not aware of them. Um, there's a lot of denominations across the United States. It's kind of sad that the church is so splintered, but there's a lot of churches across the United States that preach the gospel. And if there's still ministers within the PCUSA who preach the gospel, get out, because it's an act of schism staying with, with this betrayal of the gospel that's taking place within this body. Has it become an entire synagogue of Satan, the entire body? I don't know, but certainly many of the individual churches are synagogues of Satan. Uh, but our particular church was really struggling with, with its relations with the denomination because our church was less and less affirming of gay people. And it led to um, our church leaving the denomination and joining a, a more conservative Presbyterian denomination. Uh, my wife and I had been part of this church for a long time and even before our children were born. Uh, we're very active in the church and found so much that was good about it uh, in, in theological training, in spiritual formation, uh, resources for our children, and lots of friendships for us. Just shows you too, and there's nothing wrong with friendships, there's nothing wrong with working in the church, we should, we should labor, we should help one another and all that. However, that by itself just a kind of a friendship club or whatever, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean by itself that it is a strong church. Now, if you don't have those things, you kind of have problems in your church. This is not like to say, isolate by yourself. You should have fr friendships. You should build up friendships with good, godly Christians, etc., and so on. 
Um, but at the same time, just because you have all these boxes ticked doesn't mean you've got a healthy church, just by the way. So this was really a, a foundation for our, our life was our church. We were both elders in the church, and each of us at different times served on the, uh, the governing board of the church. Um, I had never studied uh, anything about the gay issue. Um, I was... I, I, I find this astonishing, right? I find this astonishing, this whole clip. You know, he's like claiming, I never studied anything. I didn't know anything about it. Are you serious? You've never heard of marriage? Um, I, I'm going to presume he has some knowledge about marriage. I'm going to presume that he's looked through Matthew 19. I'm going to presume even the minister that married him and his wife I know he married a woman because he has a son. I, I find it, it's, I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but this is intellectually dishonest. Why do I say this is because to say you don't know anything about the quote unquote gay issue or whatever like that, you don't need to go to the Bible. Hey, here's a list of a hundred things you're not supposed to do. And by the way, it's disturbing. I used to listen to tons of podcasts after I got saved. And it's actually disturbing how many of them approach the issue that way. Okay. We know what is natural. Uh, Adam and Eve. One man, one woman for life. That is marriage. Joined. They're compatible. They're complementary with each other. Adam was to lead his wife, Eve. Anything contrary to God's design is what? Sin. I find it again I find it astonishing that people will say oh, we never studied the homosexual issue R really and I'm not talking about those texts that everybody goes to even Leviticus 18 Leviticus 20 or wherever else but the created order and here's the thing people know what it is and if you look through the Bible long enough you're lying Are you, there is the natural relationship between the man and the woman. And any other sexual relationship that is not, is not that, it is an abomination. By the way, the old legal definition of sodomy was a crime against nature. And that's all that needed to be said. And that included uh, bestiality because it was against nature. It wasn't natural. With this type of logic, you could defend any form of perversion. 
any form. What happens when the pedophile comes along and says, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about pedophilia. You could, you could make the argument, it would be sinful, horrible, and wrong to do this, but you can make the argument that, well, you know, it doesn't say anything about drug taking. I mean, I just take a little bit of heroin here or whatever. How far would you stretch this argument? There's so many things you wouldn't do with, only with your own select sin. And movements that take themselves outside of biblical orthodoxy, where they're not Christian churches anymore, they'll do this, and but they'll cherry pick. They'll cherry pick. Gay. Nobody in my family was gay. I didn't know I had any friends who were gay. Uh, none, I didn't know I had any work associates who were gay. And so I didn't really take the time or invest the effort to study it. And on top of that, because I'm not gay, it's uncomfortable for me. And I didn't like to think about it. So I didn't. Uh, so, as Matthew alluded to, uh, our faith, my faith, my wife's faith, our family's faith, the most important thing in our lives. A close second to that is our family. We had, my wife and I had invested a lot of time and effort into creating a cohesive, supportive, loving family. And we're really blessed that we were seeing a lot of fruit from that. So I guess that leads to the next stage in our discussion. Yes. <laughs> um, so fast forward to when I'm in college and I, because I was just living in, I think this happens especially with the generational difference, I felt like my sister and I were living in a different world than the world that my parents were living in because we were living in a world where LGBTQ people existed. <laughs> and not as an idea, but as friends, <laughs> as people we cared about. And that it was a real experience. Uh, like it was a real characteristic of some people. It was just a minority group in the world. It wasn't a choice. It, it wasn't a lifestyle. It was one of many minority groups and one that we were seeing. Yeah, and again, you just have to accept that. You can't challenge that, you know, because you, just say you went up to somebody, you started criticizing him because he had black skin. That would be evil and wrong, wouldn't it? Of course it wouldn't. And, and most reasonable people will will um, will acknowledge that or whatever. You know, if somebody has an amputated arm or is born without whatever or... But this isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about people who suppress the truth and the righteousness and reject the created order. And out of that, God has given them over to a reprobate, a debased mind. And they have done things that are unnatural. It's the way Romans describes it. And even, you know, can I say this much? That section in Romans 1 is not primarily homosexuality does come up in it, but it's not primarily talking about homosexuality. It's primarily dealing with the created order and it's primarily dealing with a rejection of the created order. 
And because of the rejection of the created order, you go into this direction of things that are, you, you reject what is natural, you will embrace what is not natural. That's kind of the, the flow of the, the argument. And since, and rejection of the created order is also rejected of, rejection of the one who created that. It was experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and much of that at the hands of rejection from the church. So I, I started to, you know, when I was my first year in college, I ended up doing a whole Bible study on this topic because I began to feel very, even before I ever did any, ask myself the hard questions, I got to a point where I did enough study that I just became passionate about it, believing that it was a justice issue. And I was frustrated then in conversations with my parents that I felt like we were just not able to actually be talking to one another because it's like we had completely different understandings of what we were talking about in the first place. And I was really seeing this as a justice issue and I felt like Yeah, and that's one of the things. Um this generation has redefined much and is now putting the pressure on the previous generation to catch up and redefine their language. Um, and this is why I've called this program mainly dealing with parents, because I, I think, I you know, there are parents out there, they themselves are Christians and they're being, can you imagine, like, it's horrible um, when it happens. Now, it's, mostly due to failed parenting, no doubt, okay? I know this. But at the same time, for the people who realize their shortcomings, who the people who um, perhaps coddle their, their kids or whatever the case may be, and their children come back at them, and they're trying to reach them with the gospel. By the way, don't give up. Keep sharing the gospel with that person. Your, your son or daughter, whatever else, and pray for them. Keep praying for them. They, that those things you taught them as a kid, they're still there. Now, the person, if they're living in this kind of lifestyle, they're not a Christian, but keep praying for them. And I've known of testimonies that people have told me personally of people who come to faith, grown up in Christian homes, who come to faith later in life. And, and some of them have been fantastic preachers at times. Um, my own wife was saved in Bible college, you know, so keep praying. And some people are, are not, are more obvious than others that they're lost or whatever the case may be. But the Lord is able. The Lord is able and, and, and it can be wonderful. And, and, you know, I don't want to kind of, um, I don't want to kind of remove the hope from people. If, if you've taught your children things when they're younger, your children still remember, I still remember, I was, I was raised in Roman Catholic, and I still remember the Our Father in Irish. Now what that means, I haven't a clue. I, I, I know what it means, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Irish, I Irish is terrible. I learned that when I was a kid. I still remember that. So pray that they, that the Lord will bring it back to them, the things you taught with them as a kid, and save their soul. They're still breathing, there's still hope.
and a lot of people are going through this, and there's people in certain homes, there's people in certain homes where they're being put under pressure, parents, grandparents, being put under pressure by those who still say that they're Christians, and they are professing homosexual, you know, they're practicing it and all this kind of stuff, and they believe it's a justice issue, and they're putting pressure on the parents, and they're, in a sense, trying to re-educate the previous generation. We always talk, I think, a lot of the time about the indoctrination of the next generation. The next generation is pretty much in the palm of their hand. But there's still a number of people, probably in their 40s up, not necessarily even born-again Christians, who would have a problem with this. That they're trying to get to. And we've got to pray for those people and try and support those people. They may even be people in your church. You may have, I know of people, sometimes they raise their children, they get saved themselves when they're older. They might get saved in their 30s and their 40s or whatever the case may be. And then their own children are not saved or whatever. I, there's a lot of cases like that. And they're put under pressure. Try and support them. Try and just chat with them or whatever. Um, bring them over for lunch, dinner, whatever. Just have chats with them. Let them know that you care. Um, I know we can say, oh, well, isn't it obvious? <sighs> yeah, but until you go through a situation where y you love your kids, but they're, they're gone in a, a direction you're not happy with, uh, and it's heartbreaking, and you're doing everything you possibly can to communicate with them, to plead with them. And what are they doing? They're turning and putting pressure on you to look at the Bible in another way. It's really sad. From an intellectual point of view, from an intellectual, purely intellectual point of view, it, it, it's an e easy issue. From a, you know, when we're dealing with the whole human being going through these things, it's horribly hard. And I think over the next couple of years, this this pressure on parents to get with the program and all this kind of stuff in lots of different, you might argue that they're not really churches that are changing, whatever the case may be. Apostasy is a departure from the church. And uh, there are churches that are on the brink at times. There are churches which are, they may have, they might even have, like they might have, a, for example, a saved minister, and they might have one or two lost elders, and maybe one or two saved elders. And there may be times when say you're a minister or whatever, the support for reform or change or whatever the case may be, may be the difference in them enduring and going through their trial or whatever they're going through. And we may not have, we see a lot of people are, we're in bubbles and we don't see this, but it does happen. The solution isn't always, I'm not even saying they should stay in a church like that necessarily, but the solution isn't always to leave a church. 
because I think it's it's weakened many a church by people leaving prematurely. However, we're, we're living in a messy generation that has tossed aside many truths that are patently clear. And we're going to have to be really, really patient with people. Don't budge an inch into truth, but realize you're dealing with sinners at the same time. I hope that makes sense. They had it wrong. <laughs> and I love and loved my parents and have a lot of respect for them. And so I didn't want to see them hurting people, even though I knew it wasn't intentional. I felt like their position hurt people, and I didn't want that because I know that's not what they want to do. Um, I certainly know that's not what they want their faith um, to be about or for the impact of their faith to be. So after I became passionate about it on a personal level, six months later then I finally asked myself the question whether or not I was gay, and it was incredibly obvious and also terrifying because even though I was at a place where it didn't raise any questions for me about my own relationship with God, it raised a lot of questions for me. And you'd, you'd say, why not? Why not? It should. If you've got any of the sins mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it was a 9, 10, and 11. Somebody's a drunkard. There are people who are drunkards, full-time alcoholics, and they think because they prayed a prayer when they were a kid that they're okay and that they're a Christian. They should examine themselves. My relationship with my parents, uh, with the church, where, you know, would I be able to find a church where I could be accepted and welcomed? And it just felt like I didn't realize how dependent I was on other people and relationships with other people. And it kind of felt like all of that potentially just was taken out from underneath me. It was pretty terrifying. Um, but I decided to, I came home that Christmas um, and because my dad and I and my mom, we'd been having some somewhat tense conversations about this topic in the abstract. Uh, my dad, he decided to do some research, right? right? And so he checked out every book from our church library on the topic of, quote, homosexuality. And they were all about something like deliverance from homosexuality, basically ex-gay books. And so he showed them to me, right? The first day I came home. Right. When I was already planning on coming out, he did not know that. He... <laughs> He showed me these books, and uh, basically he's like, I've been doing some study since we talked about it. And I was like, oh, this is not the type of study I was hoping you'd be doing. <laughs> and so I think I said something to the effect of, you know, I'm not going to read books about how women can't do math or about how, you know, a particular race of people are inferior. So I don't really feel, like, to me, this feels like the same. So... Obviously, it's been linked in with all, you know, treating women horribly, um, or what was the one again, uh, saying other races in fear. So yeah, you know, to the whole idea, you, you heard it there, I don't want to read about books about, so the, you're, you're, you're going against the entire Christian church here, Matthew. You're going against not only that, but also the Jewish church before it. Actually, you, you, the, if you really boil down the argument that's been put forward by the ridiculous Reformation project, the argument is this, that there's never been anything like homosexuality up until 
you know, because it's anachronism to say that the term didn't come up until when was it about a hundred years ago or something like that. So therefore, this is a brand new phenomenon because he'll even admit himself in in the ancient world there that homosexuals were living horrible lifestyles and et cetera and so on. That's who he was talking about. Not today's monogamous homosexual. By the way, there's been research done that it's pretty much a myth. Um, And I don't really advise the research. Um, There is, like I don't primary source research, if you know what I mean. But a study was done by Judith Reisman, who is a, she's, she's not a Christian, but she's a Jew, is deeply concerned about these things, a very good researcher uh, who's been studying the Alfred, the effect of Alfred Kinsey's um, sexuality in the human male and sexuality in the human female, which came out in 1948, 1953, since the sexual revolution came out. She's been deeply, deeply concerned with that issue. I think there was some incident that she had back in, I think it was the 1970s, I think it was the 1970s with her own child, and that led her into a lot of research into this area. Long and the short of it is, she's done a number of books on this. Various issues are relating to a lot of the influence of Alfred Kinsey. And in one of the books, she did research into um, data that was taken from The Advocate. Now, The Advocate is a, at least back in the 1990s, I have no clue if it's still going, but uh, back in the 1990s, mid-1990s, where this data was taken from, it was an upper-class mainstream homosexual magazine. Um, And data was taken from that um, to show that the vast, no, not vast, tiny, tiny minority of people within that community are monogamous. And monogamous doesn't really mean what we mean by monogamy. It doesn't exist. Uh, Back in my college days before I was a Christian, I saw elements of the LGBT community. I, I didn't, then I didn't really have any qualms with it before I was a Christian. And I knew people and it was common, Not I'm not saying every single person, but most of them would have multiple, multiple partners. This whole thing about, I just want to settle down just like you, just like me, even on that level is a complete fiction did a video about it years ago, I think about five, six years ago. I um, can't remember what it's called, but the, the what's being presented that there's an, a lot of these homosexuals out there who want to live a normal lifestyle. Um, what they mean by monogamy is somebody staying with the same partner for many, many years. It doesn't mean that they're faithful to that partner. It's fiction. And the data from that, and what the reason why I said the advocate and upper scale, middle class, and all that, is because that is the the nicest presentation of the data that can be put forward. As in, there's worse stuff, I'm sure, out there. Not advocate. I'm not saying go look for it or anything like that. But there has been research done in these areas to show what is the common practice among a subsection of society that up until the 1950s was predominantly a prison population. This is what Alfred Kinsey sampled. A prison population, largely. Sexual deviance. 
He took that data from sexual deviance and he said, here's the norm. It's all based largely on Kinsey's fraudulent data, which cannot be reproduced. I, I'm not aware of any study that's been able to reproduce it. People have tried. The whole fiction of 10% of people are gay and all this kind of stuff, that, that's Kinsey. And actually, the studies that have been redone, I think it's found it's been 3 to 4%, and it's probably increased over the years. It is... Um, I'm trying to remember, there was a researcher a number of years ago basically talked about the, the absolute fiction that somebody that, that sexuality is fixed. And this was somebody within the LGBT com community. This was a, a, a lecturer in a fairly well-respected institution in the United States. Um, and the, the whole argument of we are this way and I can't change and all that has even been debunked within their ranks. There's a sense in which the so-called Christian gay movement, if you want to call it that, is, is using old arguments probably, I don't know, from a couple of decades ago. It's based on fiction. And dad, you were like, well, that's not very open-minded. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you got me. It's not. <laughs> so um, I, I, do you have anything else to say about that? Well, you did read the books. Yes, eventually. But at first, I was not exactly. I was a little, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no you read the books. And I, what was interesting to me about your comments about them were that you had seen different things in their stories than I had. I had seen people whose lives were a mess and through therapy had some wonderful things happen in their lives. Really like get, overcoming drug addiction. Get their lives in order in, a, in so many different ways. What did you see in those stories? Yeah, I saw people who were experiencing addictions, uh, whether, you know, drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions, all these things, people who had a lack of purpose and identity. This was, by the way, th this kind of stuff characterizes the entire movement virtually. I mean, yeah, there may be some, there are some exceptions and there are some people who live pretty balanced lives, but, and I say balanced lives from the outside, but it, they are the exception rather than the rule. Um, uh, I, I just ask for your prayers as well. A brother in crisis in, in the chat room, a good friend of mine. Um, oh, sorry, Benjamin, to mention your name, but um, he, he's, we, were, we were talking earlier in the program about um, people who've been tr trying to reach out to their, their children and things like this. Um, would you pray for Benjamin and his daughter that they'd be, that they'd be reconciled? He hasn't seen her for, a, but was a 13, how many years now? It's been a number of years since he's seen his daughter. Um, Benjamin was saved later and um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a heartbreaking situation. He lo- he loves his little girl. Um, she's growing up. She's an adult now. So pray for reconciliation in um between them and and this stuff happens in a lot of different circles. I know a lot of pe- and I know of a lot of people in these situations and various different situations. Some people are in still in contact, but they don't know the Lord. And um, so keep keep our brother in Christ in prayer. Um. And brother, don't give up. Don't give up. Um, I have heard of, I know of situations, people have just sat, not even, just sometimes people sharing testimonies of me with me. Like, there was one time, uh, one guy, he was raised in a Christian home and he said he was arrogant and things like that. He knew the Bible. He knew lots of stuff about the Bible. Got saved when he was about 20 years old. And that's when the Lord really humbled him. And, um, you know, and, and, the, and the Lord does that. And the Lord uses those people mildly. And there's times when people get saved later in life. And there's a purpose. No, well, not times. There is a purpose to it. When people get saved later in life, they go through things. And those stuff, that, that th- those horrible things that they go through, you know, rather than if they got saved earlier or whatever, the Lord uses it. The Lord uses it for his glory. So we pray that God will be glorified and all things will work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We'll head back to our, our critique. Lives, people who just had a lot of struggles and also were gay. <laughs> and sometimes it was related in the sense that they were kicked out of their church and then they felt like they had no support and then they were just in a place where everything kind of felt like it was falling apart. But the chain stories were... I found Jesus, I got a part of a church, I got sober, (laughs) and I stopped having a bunch of one-night stands, and my life got better, and I thought, of course it did. (laughs) Like, definitely, and good for you. Um, But also, like, that's not my experience at all. You know, from the first time I... We can't let morality, by the way, define a religion. You know, just, there's plenty of people who've gone through AA, 12-step programs and stuff and gotten sober. They don't know the Lord. Uh, years ago, I remember hearing of was it Glenn Beck's conversion to Mormonism, and if you just take Mormonism out of it, Mormonism is a is a non Christian cult. It's basically polytheism. But if you just take the Mormonism out of it, you might say, "Oh, he's a Christian," because it sounded very very similar to some conversion stories how he changed and all this kind of stuff. I'm, you know, bar a few details here and there. So. Um, just because somebody turns their life around does not mean they're a Christian. Hey, you could turn your life around. There was times years ago, like I had problems with alcohol and things like that. And there was times I was sober for periods of time. Didn't mean that I trusted the Lord. Some people just stop doing one thing and then they come back to church and then they think, I'm okay. Not so. Not until you've repented and trusted in Christ. Until you've been born again. I you know, learned when I was, I don't know, five about sexuality and learned that, you know, sex is a gift for marriage. I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. And I'm 29 and that's what I want to (laughs) do. And, uh, and so I just kind of felt like, look, like. And marriage is between one man and one woman. There's no other definition that exists. Because I'm gay, it doesn't change my beliefs and it doesn't change how important my faith is to me. And so I don't see myself reflected in any of these stories because none of these people are people who have a good... 
you notice you notice that with prideful people, it's like, well, you know, anything the Bible talks about, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. Oh, no, 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 that's not me. Oh, I don't see myself reflected in that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Relationship with God who are, you know, and who, fortunately, I was not dealing with any of those challenges or addictions or anything like that. And so I just thought, well, Dad, these aren't orientation change stories. <laughs> and, are- <laughs> and to that point, you showed me that in almost every one of these stories, even after all this wonderful story of change, at the end was commonly some little comment like, I still experience same-sex attractions, but I have all these great things in my life, including... Uh, op- I still get attracted to alcohol, to abusers, or I still get attracted to stealing. I still get attracted to, um, I don't know, beating people up as they go past. Well, you just got to embrace who you are. Um, no, you, you don't, you don't, with any sin, you don't just say, oh, well, that's, that's who I am and that's it. You repent of it. Man was created upright, but he sought out many inventions. Adam and Eve were created righteous, holy, in the image of God. But they fell. And our sinful desires, just because we have them, just because we want something, doesn't mean we can sanctify our desires. That's evil. Sex marriage for several of them. And Matthew pointed out to me that, what does that mean, Dad? It means that they didn't change their orientation. And I had just completely missed that. Okay, let's look at... By the way, if you've really repented and trusted in the Lord... I'm just going to look at this word. Orientation. So, if you've really trusted in the Lord... Such were some of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses, verse 11. You're not that anymore. I get annoyed as well. I see it in conservative in, in circles. I am a Christian alcoholic. No, you're not. If you're a Christian, such were some of you. You're no longer that drunkard. You're not that. Christ doesn't see your sin. It's been washed clean. If you've repented and trust in Christ, you're a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creature. Praise the Lord. He says, orientation. The action of, uh, let me see here. See if we can get a kind of um, detailed Relative position or direction. The action of orientating something. Relative points of compass. Um, trying to think, is there a Cambridge definition? So the whole idea is this is the way I am. Can't change it. Particular things that a person prefers, believes, thinks, or usually does. Prefers, believes. They haven't changed their beliefs. Well, the Bible says to repent. 
the Bible says you must repent. The Bible says you must repent, pick up your cross, which is death to self, by the way, and follow Christ. There's no dying to self here. There's exalting of self. There's sanctifying, uh, how you put it, anything you want to do. Which is really the devil's religion. You do what you want to do. You create your own commandments. And because you are who you are, you do what you do. Do what you want to do. That is, that, that was Aleister Crowley's. I mean, I, I'm not tying him in with Aleister Crowley or anything like that. But, I mean, Aleister Crowley, if anybody's aware of him, he was a kind of one of the most evil men of the early, was it 20th century, influenced a lot of people. And what was the thing he said? Do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. Do what you want. The guy was a Satanist, by the way. And, and the, the whole idea of those things, you do what you like. Here's my orientation. Here's my beliefs. Here's what I prefer. Here's what I like to do. I will do this. Of course God likes that. Oh, that's great. Do whatever you want. No, the Bible says to die. To die. To sell. If you are not putting your sin to death, rather than just indulging it, then you're not a Christian. You're deceived. Now, let me see now. So, Romans chapter 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit of indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's what the Bible says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So if you don't put your sin to death, that's what a Christian does. That's what it means to pick up your cross, to, to put things to death. The, the cross is a, is a, was a death sentence. A death sentence. 
He puts sin to death. You live unto Christ. You put that old man to death. He is condemned and raised anew in Christ Jesus. No longer living as we once lived. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Just because you like something, prefer something, believe something, doesn't make it right. Yeah. But before we actually had those conversations, um, I came out to him. <laughs> and I remember when he shows me these books and I'm already planning on coming out, I'm just like, this isn't going to go well. Um, so I came out to my mom first. I'd already... <laughs> I had already come out to my sister over Thanksgiving. And again, because she and I were just living in a different world, you know, she had also been on her own you know, process and was at a, you know, that it, she did not miss a beat uh, in terms of being completely supportive and affirming. And she's actually here. And this is her first TRP conference. And I'm so excited to have her here. So welcome, Chris. It's not just as well. Um, we can talk about parents being put under pressure, but there's also siblings don't know anything about his sister or anything else like that. However hard it may be, and it's hard, the least loving thing you can do with somebody who comes out is support them in that. Be patient with them. I'm not saying you have to whack them over the head with every verse in the Bible, but urge them to repent. They have, if they're a professing believer, they've gone away from the faith. And you've got to point out, this is their eternal soul that's at stake here. Um, and so, yes, and then I came out to my mom, who's also here. Uh, and a couple days later, came out to my dad, was not excited about it. <laughs> um, but it went as well as it could have, I think, given where you were at and your understanding. And not in terms of not understanding that sexual orientation was not... And here's the thing, you know, it, it, this is kind of almost a video to train people how to, well, do indoctrinate and whatever else, your, your parents. Um, you know, because they've got a lot of people of this generation. And often what is the barrier to many of the changes that they're going to make, especially within some, you know, they claim to be churches, um, are the older people that are there. And th here's the thing, they, they just don't understand. They don't understand what an orientation is. They've never looked at the gauge. Come on, look, this is a complete an utter lie. If you have studied anything to do with marriage, if you've studied anything to do, for that matter, for about the human anatomy, if you've studied anything to do with the created order, if you've opened your eyes to the created order, then you know this is wrong. And indulging people in these lies, it's not loving. It's not wise. 
And because we have persisted in this generation of the church in a kind of a doctrine of niceness in all areas, there are times when the shepherds need to warn of wolves and they need to warn against that. We've kind of lost that edge. Now, I know people who are very good at that and then they, they're, they're not very good with the loving element. I'm not just saying, you know, men have to be a jerk from the pulpit or something like that. That's not what I'm advocating at all. And it's not an excuse to be unloving and abrasive and the least pastoral. That's not good at all. Um, you, you know, if somebody's saying, what's a good balance and all that, read just at the moment, reading through Al Martin's, um, you know, read through volume one for the second time, pastoral theology, it's excellent. Lovingly applying the truth, but when the, but when error needs to be exposed, you're not obsessed with it, but you talk against it. You bring it to bear. Again, warning against hobby horses and whatever else like that, especially in church life. And you don't have to bring this up constantly in church life. But if it's, you know what, quite honestly, what will help the church is teaching on the created order. When I preached years ago on, I think I preached, preached in a church in, on Romans chapter one, on the verses to do homosexuality, but the, the, the sermon wasn't about homosexuality. It was about the created order. And the way God has designed things, and it's in the rejection of that that it leads to these things that are horrible, that are ripping apart our society. There's a sense in which the whole homosexuality thing, I wouldn't say, it's almost like a footnote in the flow of Paul's argument. But it does come out of a rejection of the created order, and by rejecting the created order, created order it's also a rejection of Christ, his gospel, rejection of the creator himself. Not something that couldn't be changed. Um, and so you told me that, I mean, I was shaking, you know, on your bed for like an hour. Also, this is like midnight on a Saturday night where we're going to church in the morning. I pick good times. Uh, <laughs> and, I, you know, you told me that you loved me and you, you thanked me for sharing it with you because you said that it, you knew that it must be hard for me. Um, what else do you remember from that? All right, so uh, I was completely unprepared to hear this. Um, I, I told you that I had never really studied this issue. Nevertheless, I knew, I knew what the right answers were. I knew that God was not okay with this. Now, how did I know this? Well, in our church, even though it's not the church that preaches against this week after week, as some churches do. In fact, I'm not sure I've heard hardly anything from the pulpit about it. It was obviously clear that in our church, we believed the Bible. And the Bible is clear that God is not okay with this. And so if you're going to be a real Christian... You're going to believe what God says, and God says he's not okay with this. And I, even though I hadn't studied it, yeah, I did know that there were these passages in Scripture. And so 
I knew that I was right. Now, Matthew was telling me that he's gay and that he's been studying this for months now. He's very bright. And so I knew that he was way ahead of me on this issue. What he was asking me to do was to affirm him as a, as a gay man, even though my understanding was that God is not okay with it. Now, up until now, um, or up until then, there had never been any real conflict between the two most important things in my life, my faith in God and my family. Suddenly, it seems like those two things are terribly in conflict. And so... There are times when our faith will be tested. Um, Genesis 22. Uh, in Genesis 22, Abraham's faith is tested by God asking Abraham to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac. His only heir. Not only just to offer him up, but to... to how would I put it? Um, slay his own son as a burnt offering. It's Genesis 22. Now, as he's about to bring the knife down on Isaac, he calls out, Abraham, Abraham. And then, do not lay your hand upon your son. The test was this. Was, was God going to be put first? Was there, in this promised seed, the seed was going to be in Abraham, the promise was going to be not in, uh, in Isaac, and in Abraham too. But was he going to make an idol out of Isaac? We love our children. But they can't come first. God must come first. The ultimate test was in Genesis 22. It sounds like that his, he describes how clear it was. And he had to study it from Matthew Vines's novel point of view, unknown to the Christian church for uh, 2,000 years. Um, he's just so smart that nobody else has seen it, and um, except for other people who are affirming this abomination. It is incredibly sad. It's incredibly sad that this has to be covered at all, but it needs to be covered. Um, I'm going to leave it there for tonight, but keep it in your prayers. Um, if you've got other things you would like me to review, radio at gmail.com and I'll I'll look through it. I'm, I try to vary things. I try not to spend too long on the same topic or anything else like that. But if you've got other things you would like me to go through and possibly respond to, I'll do my best. Um, over the next few weeks, we may do extra programs, but we'll see. Keep us in your prayers. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you all.